The year is 1968. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. My Marvelous Year, a comic book reading club where we cover all the best Marvel comics from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book newcomer, and along with my host Dave, the devourer of galaxies, we're going to be Love covering it. the second half of 1968 today. And that yeah. is how you I feel hungry when I'm hungry. So, yeah, yeah, so that's that's fair. I don't know how you read that, but I must just be drooling <laughs> or something. Um, all right, cool. So yeah, we're going to dive back into 1968. We are rapidly approaching the end of the 60s. If you like what you've been hearing as we've covered the entire 60s, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcast player of choice. Uh, or you can support the show over at patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. Mm-hmm. Shameless yep, plugs out of the way. Oh, go ahead. Thank you. We really appreciate the backing. And uh, when we're recording this, we just passed the $250 mark for our next goal, which is for the quarterly Q&A, which I'm very excited to get rolling. We might even have it done it by this point. Who knows? But um, yeah, excited, right. excited to get into that. So uh, keep an eye on Patreon for announcements about that. And here we go into five more issues of the Avengers. What are you thinking? Let's <laughs> <laughs> get people like, off. The, the brutal beating of four Avengers issues in a row last episode. Yeah, um, so this I'm is glad. an interesting chunk because we get a bunch of new series launching. Yeah. In the back halves of 68, we have Captain Marvel launching its own series. We have Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. coming out of Strange Tales. We've talked about it a bit. And then we have, what's the new one? Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer, yeah. Getting his own magazine. Um, and then we will round things out with a couple annuals for Spider-Man and Fantastic Four that, that have some big stories as well. So I personally enjoyed 68, the back half, a little more than the front half. What was your like overall assessment? Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Especially Nick Fury and Silver Surfer. I thought the annuals were kind of so-so. Which were, so the only Spider-Man we're reading all year is this num- annual number five at the end here. Yeah. I actually, I read every single issue of Spider-Man for this year. It's the only one yeah. I've gone through and read, read all of it. And I think, we'll get to it, but like, I don't love the annual. And I think this year's Spider-Man is like the best writing that Marvel has done so far. Maybe not like the biggest or loftiest ideas, but just the best running series that's just... Like, really cool stuff happening in Spider-Man this year. If you like Spider-Man, you should just start picking it up and running with it because it's great. Well, let's let's talk about this a little because I obviously, like, I put this list together as a reading club. And mm-hmm. the goal of the My Marvelous Year Club is to give, like, the most detailed overview of the Marvel Universe that isn't going to bog people down in trying to read everything, which I think right. is is a blocker for a lot of people because it's like you the difference between reading 25,000 comics and reading, you know, 10 big stories a year is is substantial. Um I think Spider-Man, I'm very open to like what are the 68 stories that would fit better here? I think, you know, I include the annual 5 because it's got big information that right, will yeah. stay with the character it's a big for a long time. It, and it's not necessarily and I, I say this a lot like these are not my 10 best. Right. These are not yeah. like my 10 best stories. Like, I think it's honestly the worst issue of Spider-Man this year. But it might be the most like plot important. 
Mm-hmm. And and I've said obviously a billion times now, like read the first 102 issues of Spider-Man, mm-hmm. read the first about the same issues of Fantastic Four. If you're into this era, if you're into Silver Age, even even weirdo issues of Spider-Man. I think there's an issue this year where Medusa from the Inhumans shows up, and it's really just like. Hey, you're Spider-Man versus Medusa because they have a misunderstanding and like it's not that interesting, but just like they're getting so competent. Like, yeah. um, what's his name? Uh, John Romita's art and Stanley's writing in Spider-Man is so competent that even the the so-so ideas are still just really fun to read. Like, yeah. if it's not a great issue, they're still like just their their batting average is so high. Right. Right. Um, no, Spider-Man is just good <laughs> yeah. for, for a good long chunk um so yeah definitely recommend it and again like just because only the annuals on the list is not a statement on the value yeah go find what you like and read the rest of that this year if you have time i mean that's what we always say you know like, yeah th- these are good guides but if you you know if you're enjoying something go flesh it out yourself right um, totally okay so let's let's jump in with captain marvel Number yeah, one. so Captain Marvel number one, and I, you know, we should call out, I think, right off the bat, this follows on the heels of Marvel Superheroes number 14. And that's an issue that is written, I believe, by Stan Lee, and that actually introduces the character Marvel. So if it feels a bit when you're reading Captain Marvel number one like you're in the middle of something, um, that's why. It's because there's an issue before this. I. I'm not super into these Captain Marvel issues in the early days. Mm-hmm. For me, it doesn't it doesn't really become a thing that I'm excited to be reading until the mid '70s when Jim Starlin takes over the title, uh, writing and drawing. So, like, just call that out right off the bat. It's you know this issue is written by Roy Thomas, art by Gene Colan, Vince Collette on inks, and Art Simek on letters. Uh, Gene Colan, we've talked about him. Mm-hmm. As an artist, he, you know, he's really he's taken a lot of the Marvel books we've talked about. And I've talked about really loving some of his art. I think we're going to have an appreciation of what he's doing in the 70s horror comics. His sequentials on an alien book, they're fine. tough to follow. They're fine at best, I think. Yeah. And okay. that may be blasphemous because he's like a respected artist no, from this no, age right. of Marvel. These these just aren't that good. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I wrote art's fine. Like it. It doesn't do anything special for it. Here's a question. Am I ever going to like a Roy Thomas written issue ever? Because Mm. so far he is like, but by a wide margin, my least favorite writer at Marvel. Like he's doing all the Avengers and I Mm -hmm. basically uniformly dislike all the Avengers. Yeah. He's doing this. And I think this and the next Captain Marvel we read are dull, like really dull, very stock standard uh, plots. Just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. do you have do you have like a Roy Thomas run that you think gets good? Well, <laughs> like I, don't want, I don't want to besmirch the man too much, but like, yeah, does, does, does no, he he's done <laughs> he's done a lot of of interesting work, and obviously he's like an important guy in the foundation of Marvel. I think his Avengers, as he gets a little more comfortable with it, um, will will become something that it's never my favorite per se. But like his work with say the artist Neil Adams on the Kree Scroll War just coming okay. in the early 70s um i'd say like that starts to get really interesting he's good at big bombastic kind of wild ideas um he's not he's not like a top guy for me but i definitely respect what he's doing there and i've seen like writers that i love comics writers that i love like grant morrison actually writes in his book super gods which is cool if you're you're into morrison's works he writes about like roy thomas's prose as being like a huge influence 
and talking hmm. about his Avengers pose is like a big, <laughs> like it's this big bombastic styling that is is actually very influential on his work. So I think I don't want to understate him in that regard, but I mean, I'm kind of with you at this point. Yeah, I, I just feel like I don't, I haven't read a good Roy Thomas issue yet. And doesn't he become the editor of Marvel? Well, we like did. We did read Avengers, even an Android can cry. Oh, that one, that one was actually okay. Like, yeah. to be fair, that was, that was okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, he, uh, he'll be an editor, and he's you know he's a big comics guy. Yeah, he's a big name, but like he doesn't he doesn't go on to have like a, I don't know he's not, he's not like an Alan Moore or like um you know or have any think, have like any a, one run that becomes like the run yeah. of a comic or something. Uh, well, I mean his Avengers. Honestly, oh, is that is okay? The, All right. Well, I guess yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. If unless I'm just totally that... blanking, but he's yeah. going to be on Avengers for a long time. Yeah. So Captain Marvel number one. So it begins with the officer of the Kree. This is Captain Marvell, M-A-R hyphen V-E-L-L. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. He is fighting a Kree sentry on Earth. There's a cutaway to Colonel Jan Rog in space, and he has basically activated this sentry on Earth. We've seen the entry in the pages of Fantastic Four. You know, it's just basically a big sentinel-looking monster robot. It's weird um, how this robot is the biggest Kree threat and such an important plot point. It's just like this one robot that's sitting on Earth causing so much trouble. Yeah. This is what Ronan was really um, protective of in that Fantastic yeah, Four. Yeah, right. Right, just defending their property of this robot. Um, but basically, Jan Rog, he sends the sentry after Marvel, uh, essentially because there's a girl that they're both pining after. Yeah, this is this is why it's so boring. It's just like there's a Cree woman who loves Marvel. And Jan Rog also loves her, so he's gonna get rid of Marvel so that he can have the woman. Boring. Like it. It just feels like the most. <laughs> this is story. This, yeah. this is the the uh, the epitome of like the the most stereotypical action hero story. Yeah, it's not it's not too inventive by any measure. Um, I, I think the important things to take away from this comic are Marvel is a Kree warrior who's going to be around for a minute and mm-hmm. will get interesting. He Here in this point, he's still wearing his like standard Kree green and white space uniform. I like um, his uniform. Okay. I think it's fine. Yeah. I, the color so palette's that, good. That costume design is definitely like kind of old style, but I think, you know, we're talking about this in the post Captain Marvel 2019 MCU version has been released. And I think you'll see some like Jan Rog is a name that they're like, wow, they pulled that from Captain Marvel number one. Um, you also do get Carol Danvers, head of Cape Security. Mm-hmm. So she shows up here in the first issue. In like a cocktail dress. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's she, interesting. She's, she's head of security at uh, at this base, but in a cocktail dress. So my take on, on Carol at this point, and she's like, she's so early, she's going to be very, she's very Barely different. a character. Yeah. She's barely a character, but it's like, she's, I'm like, oh, good. She's the head of security. That's cool that that's uh-huh. a woman bad (laughs) that she's written like basically every other woman essentially in marvel at this point and she's just kind of like she's saved by the hero she's just kind of hanging around and she doesn't like do much of Mm -hmm. anything i you know you see her like get to order make some orders and like operate in her job i would not have noticed that she existed if i didn't know that name from later yeah like i she would have just been faded totally into the background if I didn't yeah. know, she is a character that becomes a thing later. Right. Like the Sentry calls her a whimpering female, and that Ooh. is like kind of how she's portrayed. Yeah. Um despite being head of security. Yeah, right. So uh, Ronan, the accuser, also makes an appearance in this one, and he basically calls out Jan Rog's personal vendetta 
from a distance. So mm-hmm. he, they actually like, I was a little surprised how much of 2019 MCU Captain Marvel actually is like kind of visible in this first issue. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's a funny parallel. The conversations between Ronan and Yanag. Yeah. In, yeah, totally. Movie. Um, so it's not like a big deal, but it's just like, okay, this is like the Kree alien race that we know. You have these military out doing their thing. Um, and then you have, you know, the accusers sort of like lording over them, but also they're kind of like running parallel paths, you know, they're not like, yeah. like it's not a direct command structure. Um, anyway, long story short, like basically Marvel stops this century from hurting anyone. He rescues Carol. Um, Jan Rog doesn't totally get what he wants yet. And uh, yeah. we're going to jump ahead and skip issue two because you don't need it. And we're going to jump no. straight to Captain Marvel number three, which does bring us at, at least the Super Scroll. Yeah, and Marvel's purpose here is that he's like a Cree. He's here to observe humans uh, for the Cree, but then he also becomes kind of the unofficial protector of humans, despite sometimes the Cree being the actual threat to humans. So that that's kind of his whole deal. And we did. Uh, I did forget to mention his alter mm-hmm. ego at this point is Doctor Walt Lawson. So he oh, is right. yeah, pretending identity. to be so a human. Boring. Yeah. Well, it's like it's one of those things, and they you know the movie has this too where it's like oh and you're an alien but you're just like it's i guess it's the superman thing like yeah you're just like a white guy with blonde hair (laughs) you (laughs) totally fit in because you look exactly like earthlings you know yeah the secret identity is not it's just the mask yeah um so captain marvel number three is the super scroll is on earth and I don't, I don't even, like, plot stuff doesn't matter here. <laughs> uh, the Super Scroll is back from an issue of Fantastic Four from, I think, 64, 63 or 64. That's really good. We didn't cover it for my Marvelous Year, but I put it in extra issues, and I think it's one of my favorite issues of Fantastic Four, because the Super Scroll is a really fun villain. He's a Scroll who's just been imbued with the powers of all four of the Fantastic Four members, so he can, he's super strong like the thing, he can stretch like Reed, he can turn invisible, force fields burn like johnny storm um mm-hmm. there's a really great song um by i think the band is ukla the mook or something like that mm-hmm. and i think the song is just called super scroll uh oh, really? I, I really should have come more prepared with those facts but it's on spotify highly recommend it it's about two minutes of acapella super scroll facts and it's one of my favorites <laughs> it's definitely my it's my favorite <laughs> com- marvel comics based song like lyrically uh-huh. um anyway let's just cut away oh, i love the song no. check it out yeah I'll put it if we can if we can put in a little snippet here i'll have to send it to you maybe that'd be better right here on the scroll home world in a secret laboratory they modified a chromosome and so begins the story of a scroll who's nearly impossible sure is to battle and defeat the fantastic four he's super scroll incredible he's as easy as easy and that's noble though to us he seems preposterous it's really not for us to just pass a rash judgment on the super scroll wow that was fun what a good song <laughs> yeah i told you um so, uh, yeah, Super Scrolls on Earth, threatening Earth. Captain Marvel needs to fight him, basically protect Earth. It's not... The the, the past appearance of Super Scroll in that Fantastic Four issue was a much better and, like representative issue of Super Scroll, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. Um, something that Super Scroll can do for a reason is he can hypnotize with his eyes. Which actually is kind of funny because he can hypnotize people with his eyes, just like Reed Richards back mm. in like Fantastic Four number... 
three or something. He hypnotized right. someone once and then moved on. So maybe that's why, because he got the powers of the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Um, anyway, this this ends with like Captain Marvel and him are fighting, and then he tries to hypnotize Captain Marvel, and Captain Marvel holds up a mirror, so he ends up hypnotizing himself. <laughs> that old yeah. that old chestnut. Again, it's fine, I guess. Like it it this is way more of a Eh, read it to see what Captain Marvel is like and then forget it ever existed. Like, Yeah, totally. I had two things with this one. One is we don't talk a lot about Stan Lee as an editor because obviously he's still writing so much Marvel. But here he's kind of shifting more into the editor role. And I think like an issue like this, you can kind of see him having a hard time delegating that role. Um, there's an There's an instance on page six of this comic where he writes like three sentences like – explaining plot essentially but as an editor's note like it's yeah. kind of like it's kind of like um almost like his notes he should have given to roy thomas to like fix the issue but instead he's just sort of like he can't let it go that maybe yeah. it wouldn't be understood and he would have done it differently which i think is kind of an interesting dynamic i um, think that would have been funny if him and like ditko were working someone who was much more contentious with yeah and and you know he just slept editor's note sloppy steve ditko forgot to mention that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally yeah yeah that'd be pretty good uh the other thing i did notice is the Cree command they they basically they don't care about saving earth when they provide um some some reinforcements in this issue but they do care about uh getting revenge on scrolls so we do get some good Cree scroll just constantly at each other's throats dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a byproduct of their actions is saving Earth. But I think it's important with the Kree, they're rarely heroic in the sense that we would understand them, but they are very self-serving. And if their self-serving purposes tie into what is good for Earth, then right. yeah. so be it. Yeah, then things line up. Yeah. Not that interesting. But what is interesting is Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., I like how quickly I came around on Jim Steranko. I, I was curious. Yeah, Jim Steranko. I was curious how, what your take on this would be. Because I hated. I, I you were really pretty down on those Strange Tales issues of his. Did yeah. not like them at all. I still don't love his writing. Like I think his writing is okay, but it doesn't kill. It doesn't kill me like it did before. Like it was okay. exhausting before, and now it's like it's a bit much. But the art more than makes up for it. Yeah, no, there's some cool ideas here. So Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., number one, he gets his own mag. Uh, it opens with one of my favorite, like, opening splash pages ever. I mean, yeah. it's just like an yeah. instant classic. It's Nick Fury scaling this giant tower. The perspective is such that the title is written on the side of the tower. And it's just like, it's just some stunning artwork. And it's just like, in an instant, it's like the first track on an album coming out and just like it's a banger and you love it and it hits you in the face and this page is just like this is what this album's gonna be or this is what this comic's gonna be from here on out you know and and like let's just talk about the cover the cover is yeah it's good too it's nick fury it's dum dum dugan scorpio the villain some woman who i don't remember who this is and uh talking about la contessa valentina yes allegra de la fonte allegra (laughs) <laughs> I'm blanking on the rest of it, yeah. Uh, and then some other character I can't remember, but they're all standing on a bunch of building blocks that are also brightly colored. The thing is, okay, this this is really telling. It looks like Austin Powers to me, right? Yeah. Like the color scheme and this style is very Austin Powers, but that's because it's Austin Powers is making fun of this like 60s disco psychedelic stuff mm-hmm. that was happening. And mm-hmm. so like, but but that's my point of reference for this. Did you notice? Yeah, so Nick Fury's climbing that tall building, that tower coming out of the water. 
and the title says, who is Scorpio? (laughs) Who is question mark Scorpio? Like he had, he only could fit the question mark in next to is. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's immediately followed up by something we have never seen in Marvel before. I'm almost positive. Yeah. Two full pages and not a single word of text. It's glorious. It's glorious because you get so much text throughout this entire era. And for yeah. somebody to have the confidence to just tell a story visually, it, <laughs> and, and, it works. And, like, and not only visually, but it it fits the story because mm-hmm. it's Nick Fury sneaking into a base, right? It's a yeah. stealth mode mission. There shouldn't be sound. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah, and he sneaks into a base. He gets the upper hand on somebody. And then you see that somebody else sneaks up behind him up from the floor and then shoots him dead. Mm-hmm. And then that person, that masked figure pulls his mask off to reveal he's Nick Fury. <laughs> And then you get like walls and walls of text. So it's 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 a it's a short lived honeymoon. Of, uh... Yeah, let's not let's not <laughs> celebrate um, Storenko's like being concise <laughs> with with words because yeah. he is not, and we'll talk about that. But those those initial pages are really awesome. And again, like it is innovative for Marvel superhero comics at totally. the time. Yeah. So yeah, this entire issue it's Storenko writing and drawing. It's Joe Sinet on inks and Sam Rosen lettering. Also, have we seen that before? Storenko, he's drawing and writing this. Have we seen someone write and draw their both? Well, he did like, it. He did it in print? Strange Tales. Oh, right. Okay. So his yeah, his but... Strange Tales they sequence from like following Kirby layouts. To mm-hmm. drawing his own, to then I think these are the last definitely not covered. Kirby layouts. These can't be right. I that would be news to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. to my yeah, mind, I don't think all so. There's so I mean, unless Kirby completely shifted his style. Yeah, no, totally. This is this is from the mind of of a new artist, and it, it shows. Um, essentially, so this real Nick Fury, he's been training, and he just we turns out he shot an LMD. So I think this is the introduction of life model decoys. Um, yeah, this is yeah. something that we'll see a lot with Nick Fury, where he's got. You know, essentially, Doombots, robots of himself mm-hmm. that uh, you know they can function like him, but obviously he's the one real Nick, and it helps him in all of his his spy games. Uh, but basically, what we find is there were four four bullets in the robot, and Nick knows he only fired three. So somebody actually tried to kill him on this training exercise, and thinks they got him, but it wasn't the real Nick. And I think at some point they just figure out it's the assassin named Scorpio, and that's like yeah. his main antagonist for. For a while, I think Scorpio becomes the the main antagonist against fighting Nick Fury. So much happens. He he like he does pack so a lot. So the of issue plot. takes it takes a turn where so much happens, but it's like totally unrelated. It's it's kind of dysfunctional. Oh, that's right. He does this. Yeah, he does this thing where he weaves in stories from like outsiders. So there's this whole running plot of this like stand up comedian who's ha- has a bunch of gambling debt and he's in trouble with this enforcer and. They're like chasing him for money. And that's kind mm-hmm. of the side plot that's happening <laughs> simultaneously. Yeah, right. And th- then we get back to Nick Fury. And it, it's this whole thing where during missile testing, it's like sabotage. And Nick Fury needs to escape. Hang on. Hang on. Let's explain missile testing. Because, oh, right. Because yeah, okay. missile <laughs> testing means Nick driving out in the desert, laying down and wearing the missile testing armor and just like sunbathing while they're about to drop, if I'm not wrong, an H-bomb on him. <laughs> But it's funny because he's literally like he he's unzipped the suit to, yeah. to get some you know get a full tan while this happens, <laughs> and then he realizes that his suit is malfunctioning yeah. or something like that. Like the suit has been turned off remotely, so he needs to get out of there before the bomb hits. And he grabs onto this jet train just at the last second. We then cut to Scorpio is inside the base. Mm-hmm. And Scorpio has a really weird design. A couple of these 
suits have really weird design. Are you familiar with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? Uh, I know the name and otherwise no. I'll have to show you this sometime because I will be shocked if... Hey! Sorry, cat on the scratching post. Yeah. I will be shocked if the artist for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure did not read these and was influenced by these because hmm. some of these some of these drawings, especially of Scorpio, there's a, a cover of Scorpio, I think number four, four or five. His mask has a tiny little skull embedded as the like the jewel centerpiece in his on his forehead that is mm-hmm. like straight out of JoJo's. Anyway, Scorpio's in the base and we get one of the coolest splash panels. Yeah. In Marvel Comics, it's so big and wild. It's just, it's absolutely gorgeous action. It's page 13 if you're reading on Marvel Unlimited. And one of the coolest things about it for me is like, it's this amazing splash of Fury and Scorpio. They're about to go at it. And then there's a caption. It's like integrated onto the building interior. Right. Yeah. So the text is part of the art. It's just, it's so beautifully done. It's some of my favorite action. I mean, what's happening is that Nick Fury is bursting through the wall on a motorcycle, shirt, shirtless. <laughs> yeah. He's got no shirt on. And he's Nick firing, takes his shirt off constantly. It's glorious. And he's fighting, firing two handguns. One, he's firing kind of in the right direction. The other, he's just firing up into the air. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so good. And then we get this fight that he has a really good line here where he's fighting Scorpio, and he says, Look this one up in your horoscope, mister. You must have been born under the sign of the Band-Aid. Yeah, it's <laughs> a classic, like, classic Scorpio jab. the wall. Yeah, it's very good. But what's, what's funny and kind of weird is the way that this concludes is in the middle of the fight with Scorpio, I think he has him kind of defeated, and mm-hmm. then a bullet shoots out of nowhere mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and wings yeah. Nick Fury. And yeah. then it turns out, that that like failed stand-up comedian is having a gunfight, or people are firing at him out in the street, and one bullet just kind of went wild and clipped Nick, like shot through the wall and clipped Nick Fury. And yeah, that's... the random cutaways all they all come back and they lead right. to a shootout that uh, it not only clips Fury, but then it also like later blows up Scorpio's getaway and kills like a lot of civilians yeah. too many civilians um it, but it's it's very seinfeldian of uh, i think of seinfeldian where it's like all these little events that are happening all come together at the end of the <laughs> story funny. you know what it reminded me of is aeon flux do you ever watch that show i haven't but Back on I, liquid I tv interesting but, things yeah oh it's super cool but that was something that would happen in that was like okay the camera would keep cutting to one little strange thing right like here's a fly on the wall and like, why do we keep looking at this fly on the wall? And like, that fly on the wall tipped over some, I don't know, some pencil that rolled and knocked this thing over that eventually like foiled the hero's plans, right? Like yeah. this small little chain of events. And it's like, why do we keep looking at this? Because at the end, it made a puddle that our heroine tripped in and doomed her. Stuff like that. Yeah. But, and Flux, Seinfeld. I mean, they're they're kind of the same thing. If you Basically think about it. the same show. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's that's how the issue ends, and uh, it's it's pretty good. <laughs> like yeah, it's a really it, good opening issue, I'm, and it's visually very captivating. Yeah, the visuals are really the thing because the text is a little oppressive. <laughs> There's a I lot think of text here. If you took, if you could just cut out fifty percent of Storinko's prose, yeah. I actually think I actually think his stories maybe get a little underrated because yeah. he writes too much. Like yeah. his, like, he's kind of so. I, I think of like Kirby being a big influence on him in the terms of like he's got like a million ideas a minute. Yeah, um, the, the, ideas the are second crazy. issue actually is probably like the biggest uh, instance of this, mm-hmm. where it's just like it's a gazillion ideas every second, but it's too much. It doesn't mm-hmm. fit and it doesn't flow. And I think like when it's a story like that, like Nick Fury Agent Shield number two, which I'll let you drive into in a sec, um, like it's 
I wind up just kind of scanning and I'm at a point where I'm like, I don't even want to read this anymore because it's so Mm -hmm. weird. I just don't have, I don't need to invest the time because I know nothing's going to come of this, you know? That's kind of a funny idea. Like Stan Lee as an editor is such a bad idea. (laughs) Like if there's anyone who, I mean, because I I think a good editor knows when to like chop up and get rid of, like how to reduce, right? Like really refine and reduce. And that is not Stan Lee's strong point of... (laughs) of getting rid of stuff like that that's such an issue with these and i can't imagine that stanley was like oh we really need to get rid of half this text because if he had these would have been so much stronger well it's not even just writing too much because that's i mean i don't know talk about like chris claremont on x-men um a writer and a storyteller that i love and obviously is iconic for a lot of reasons dude wrote (laughs) like insane amounts of prose per page you know so it's it is sort of a nature of the beast in some ways but some Storenko's not a writer who can do that and have it really read in a way that is linear, I think. Um, and it, it hurts the stories here. Yeah. And it's one of these things where oftentimes I'm reading text and I'm just thinking, you could clip this. Like, I can already tell what's happening. Like, you're doing a great job visually explaining this. You don't need to give me a paragraph telling me what's happening because I can see it. Like, Yeah, right. Anyway, but, but the visuals just more than make up for it. What's really a bummer is I think there's only four or five issues of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Marvel Unlimited. But this series went for like 18 issues. I hope they, they add the rest at some point because I'll, I'll come back and check these out. Like, Yeah, it, it's not it's not Storenko for that long. Oh, uh, really? Okay. Like well, he, he has a pretty limited... It, it's amazing because like people talk about him in reverent tones for obvious reasons. Um, but the actual Marvel output that he had is pretty limited to like Strange okay. Tales, this, a little Captain America we'll talk about. Um, but then with the exception of some like I don't know, like a romance short story here and there. Like he just, he doesn't do a lot more. So Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. number two, uh, starts out with just a wild three pages. I'm going to, I'm going to just tell you everything that happens on the first three pages here. I love the first three pages. So please do. You get this huge splash page of a man entering a fun house, this big circus fun house, really sinister looking. And then he, he walks in and immediately is attacked by a couple skeletons, one of whom he shoots in the head and says like, they're immune to bullets. Uh, which again is actually kind of like real bullets being fired. And like, I don't know, for some reason that just has their skeletons so they can just show them getting shot. But it's the first time we've actually seen someone like really getting shot. You see like, firing like real like, guns stood out to me as well. Um, I don't, I'm not well, going to go as far as say it's the first time, but I was kind of no, like, there's definitely took guns, note. but like the fact that usually it's just like, Oh, I was shot in the gut and you see someone doubled over. But mm-hmm. this is like, you see the path from the gun to the skeleton's forehead and the hole. <laughs> So it just yeah. feels that much more immediate. Yeah. Uh, but he can't he can't kill these skeletons because they're skeletons. As he runs away, he falls through a trap door. Uh, as he falls, he tries to grab some beam and swing his way out into the next room, which toxic gas starts pouring through the vents. So he dives into some water, which is full of alligators, <laughs> that he begins wrestling. <laughs> he, he fights off these alligators. He pulls himself up out of the water into a room where the walls all start closing on him. Yeah. And this is this is my favorite part. I thought this was so cool. The walls are all closing in on him. So his solution is to throw some I think he has a flask on him. And so it must be booze or something. He's a flask or a lighter, one of the two, yeah. Yeah. Uh I mean he has a lighter because he lights one of the walls on fire <laughs> to weaken it before it crushes him so that he can then burst through. This happens in like two and a half pages. All everything I just said. Mm-hmm. And it's so much stuff happens. It's really fun. Turns out it was all just a test. 
<laughs> to become an Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. member. So, like, Dum Dum Dugan and Nick Fury come out and welcome Jimmy Woo into into S.H.I.E.L.D. Jimmy Woo? Is that is that a guy, or are you just saying Woo? Oh, you don't know Jimmy? Jimmy Woo is a guy. He's a, he's a S.H.I.E.L.D. guy. He's an Agents of Atlas guy. And he's a supporting character in Ant-Man and the Wasp. MCU style. Oh, oh, the, uh, oh, that really funny guy from Veep. Yeah. The, the, the Jimmy Woo who keeps is visiting and... excellent. I love Jimmy Woo. Okay, cool. Jimmy Woo? You're gonna, you're gonna like Agents of Atlas in the 2000s. I, oh, I don't, yeah, I don't have know what a that is. good feeling about that. Okay. The, uh, we cut to one of the coolest pages. I think maybe my favorite single page in Marvel so far. I don't know. I'm not gonna stand by that, but... It's it's another one of these completely silent pages. Nick Fury, yeah, the silent page is Nick Fury with his it's kind of his romantic paramour. She's also a spy. This this swanky pad where like she's laying on a, a, a tiger skin blanket. He's laying back, smoking a cigarette. And something Storenko does is use white space a lot, which is interesting. Yeah. We've complained about blank backgrounds, but Storenko uses white and then like black contrast really well. Yeah, and the thing is. You get one big panel up top and then 10 panels below, 10 smaller panels. And it's not just telling the story silently. It's just mood work, which is literally something we've never seen in Marvel, for sure. We've never seen someone just, like, set the mood silently. So you cut between shots of, like, the Countess just kind of lounging. You get a shot of the record player, the Countess with a rose, uh, her bringing the rose to Nick Fury for him to smell, a shot of the ashtray. You can, like, smell the cigarette. And then what's really cool is the final three pages are, or final three panels are a phone ringing, a shot of Nick Fury just giving the Countess a kiss, and then a shot of Nick Fury's gun holster, which is hanging over the back of a chair. And the, like, the, the subtle storytelling there of, oh, the, the phone rings, he's kissing her goodbye, and the shot of the gun just suggesting, you know, he's got to get to work. It's by miles the most subtle thing Marvel has ever done. It's very cool. Yeah. And like, and this is just, yeah, I mean, exactly that. Like the most subtle thing Marvel has done, they don't do this. They just do yeah. not do the stuff yeah. that Storenko just starts sort of rolling out. And I think that's what makes him so interesting. And it's, such, it's in such stark contrast to later where he feels the need to just like, literally at one point he writes from the top of the page to the bottom, one column of text that is like three or four <laughs> paragraphs long. I noted that it's, one as well. It's yeah. horrifying. And the thing is, like, he can do it without the text. And then, I, I don't know, it's funny. This, the, he He's on the complete opposite ends of the spectrum, depending on what page you're on. Yeah, right. No, he does it all. And I, just to clarify, Nick Fury's um, paramour there is La Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. <laughs> I had no idea who this woman was, so, like, yeah. I, I don't know. Nick Fury's flying off in his, like, heli- helicopter thing, and this beam knocks him out of the sky, and... He gets ripped out of his his helicopter by a giant moth, which just takes you like, this is five pages in. We've already had this huge funhouse fight scene. We've got this like cool swanky spy, his spy apartment. Now he's being grabbed by a giant moth and he's brought to this volcano lair of a guy named Centurius. Does Centurius ever come back? You know, so that's kind of what I was going with, with the... He's got a gazillion ideas, but I know nothing comes of them. I Listen, I'm not yeah. going to say this guy's never been in another Marvel comic, but definitely he's not a major player as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So like Centurius basically says humans are a plague. He wants to destroy all humans and he's found a way to speed up evolution. And so he like he he basically creates a, a million tiny little Earths and speeds up the evolution. So he has a bunch of di- dinosaurs and aliens to replace 
You know who he's totally a precursor to is huh. the high evolutionary. Except that that already happened. <laughs> that was like in last year's Thor, I think. Ah. <laughs> okay. Or two years ago. That was like 1966, I think. Okay. Was when that yeah. started in, in Thor. And he but... is a post-cursor and not even unique. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he basically is like, I'm going to wipe out all of humanity and replace them with my fresh dinosaurs. But then, like, another thing that's happening is... At- on the same island where he is, there's a movie shoot happening for a King Kong movie. <laughs> this happens <laughs> late in the issue, too. Like, we don't even get to this till it weighs in. Yeah, like, all of a sudden we cut to, like, a movie shoot. And, th- I mean, it's not just, like, here's a panel and there's a movie happening. Like, we get to know the characters of this movie right. shoot. There's right. a, there's actually kind of a funny thing where there's two romantic leads for this um, this movie shoot. And the director is trying to have them show some passion but they've been working together for a really long time and they're just on so many movies together that they can't stand each other and uh, yeah. <laughs> they can't get over it to like, anyway, I, I don't know. I don't need to go into what happens. Like fights happen. Nick Fury fights Centurius. They defeat him and we'll never see him again. So like, yeah, yeah, it, it's more just, or less. It's, it's a lot of, uh, it's, it's a ton of ideas, but like, I mean, they're interesting ideas. They're just, it's so such a breakneck speed. Yeah, no, it just, it's just, flying and it's the visual components are fascinating like page 17 is just suddenly like it's just a big headline that says kong and it's like a king kong movie still like, <laughs> right? yeah. like why is this happening you know kind of stuff at but least it's, it looks it's cool. wild yeah uh, it's cool it's cool looking and i i that's not for then, nothing and then take us into number three because again an entirely different mood that that's kind of what's kind of one of the things that's one of the coolest things about this book is different genres different moods every issue it's very the fun. next the next one's just horror, like it, yeah. it's a, a horror suspense, and it reminded me of Planetary by uh, yes. Warren Ellis. That was what where, I was thinking. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. This this was this like cemented that for me, where I was just like, every issue is just you know, it's dabbling in all these different genres. It's not nearly as successful as Planetary. Yeah, no, it's just like different genres, and because Nick Fury, Agent Shield, I hear that, and I'm like, oh, it's gonna be spy stories, and then no, second story is like a weird like Hollywood meets aliens. And uh, the third story is uh, horror, uh, supernatural meets Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you have the title for this one written down? So it opens with an old Scottish poem which repeats the refrain, "When the moon castle dark upon the moor." Oh, that's pretty good. You challenged me to a Scottish accent. I didn't know you were keeping that in your back pocket. That's right. I was hoping you would do the same, but you never, you never did. So I had to just bust it out. <laughs> oh, I should have brought sorry. it home. Yeah. Um, so this issue is Steranko, Dad, Dan Atkins, inks, and Sam Rosen letters. Uh, page three. So this is the other thing. It's like the third page is a double page splash title sequence. It's wild. Like just the he opens with a poem and then he busts out the title with no other text or info on this double page splash and the title is dark moon rise hellhound kill i'm really upset with how you said that it needs to be said <laughs> dark moon about? rise hellhound kill a dark moon rise hellhound kill okay well i'll take that that's good <laughs> i apologize to our scottish listeners who i just offended um no, it's, okay. it's a spooky <laughs> mansion murder mystery is basically what this issue is and uh, there's a seance, there's ghost summoning, there are ghost hunters here in the mansion, and Fury at one point sword fights a ghost. Mm-hmm. It is pretty he shoots, fun. He shoots a ghost dog at like point blank and says, my bullets hurt, <laughs> don't do anything. Yeah, there's um, there's a really cool double page splash here um, of the Hellhound of Ravenlock. 
mm-hmm. that, that yep. may well be the hound that he shoots. But uh, page, okay, so page 18 of this book is the page you were referring to earlier. It had so much text, I laughed out loud. So <laughs> it's literally a column, and I, I don't even know if there's a period, but it's it's like the hardest reading challenge. It's Yeah, it's horrifying. I, I tried to read it. I got about halfway through, and I was just like, this is nothing. I don't need to know this. Like the payoff is like it's like running a marathon. It's like I do this so I can tell people I did it. <laughs> like that's the payoff. <laughs> like reading James Joyce. Yeah, totally right. It's the only reason you read Ulysses is to say I read Ulysses yeah, twice. It's it, and I understood it. <laughs> it's yeah. Th- this whole issue. I mean, again, it's just like yeah. It starts as a horror murder mystery and it's got ghosts and seances and then it turns into like secret nazi bases underneath the castle and oh geez i yeah i didn't even i see okay i didn't even write that down because here's the thing with the Drango agent of fury or agent of shield the plot is not the point right no, it's, it's really like not, the plot like... of these is not is not the point and if you're reading them for like tight nick fury stories go back to the stan and jack written strange <laughs> yeah, tales because yeah, these sure. are not them you know yeah but, but yeah I mean... they're, they're cool issues i think these are like these are the ones that i like reading because you can see so much of what's to come that mm-hmm. that is drawn from these um not even just in marvel like just in comics like there are still creators who will reference these in indie books in yeah. in dc like across the board oh i, I mean i would be people. shocked if warren ellis was not a a Starenko fan maybe so because like well i don't know i want to go deep into ellis here but definitely like in terms of that like silent storytelling and letting an yeah. artist tell the story that's something he's huge on yeah um, in his comics and that's you know you you see it here in marvel i mean I, i'm early. comfortable speaking for warren ellis so he is a big fan <laughs> I, okay right i stand yeah. noted my marvelous year fan warren ellis uh let it be let it be known um yeah so yeah that was pretty fun i liked i liked those three e- even though like I would only want to take these if there were more Starenko ones. I think three was enough, and then I'd take a break and then maybe want to dip my toes back in and skim through them. But pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, back in slightly more conventional territory, we read the first three Silver Surfer issues, and they're all a little too long. For some reason, they're like they're all fifty pages long. Oh, there's I did, I had completely forgotten how long these were. These are all like annuals. I well, the first one is that long. And I thought, like, oh, okay, well, it's the first issue. That makes sense. And we got to the second one, and it's 48 pages. And I was like, wait, why? This, I know. None of the second and third one did not need to be 48 pages. The, the length does not, does not really do them a yeah. service. No. They could have been cut in half, and they would have been fine. But also, I, I saw online that they, they're missing the B stories. So these were even longer when they were initially published. There were B stories attached to these that oh, no are kidding. not in Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, yeah. Did you see what they were? Something about a krill, which isn't that a shrimp? I don't know. It was like the this story big, of the krill, big seafood backup, huh? <laughs> which is like ha- maybe it's half Cree, half Skrull? krill. I don't know. Okay, yeah. There's maybe a, that's I, the I introduction that of word, uh, King but... Crab, the world's most dangerous crustacean. Hmm, is that a thing? Uh, it is now in the Defenders of the Deep and 2018 Jason Aaron run. I'm getting way ahead of us. Oh wow, okay, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I like big crabs. Uh. So You're gonna is... love this comic. <laughs> <laughs> if it's got big crabs, I'm here for it. Yeah. Uh, this is this is Stanley and John Buscema, and John, right? John. Buscema? Yeah. This is John. So there's there's two Buscemas. Let's call out. There's a John and there's a Sal. Uh, I think at this point we've only seen John. Mm, okay. He um, I like his work here. Like I think it's it's pretty. Um, 
He's definitely in the Jack Kirby school of art. It looks mm-hmm. very Jack Kirby-ish, but it's really nice and clean. It's very colorful. He's way into the cosmic stuff that like clearly looks influenced by Jack Kirby. He used the Kirby crackle a lot, and he just likes to use a lot of bright primary colors with contrasting blacks to bring up like the big cosmic stuff. Mm-hmm. That which is pretty fun. Um, we let's see. This first issue is all about the origin of the Silver Surfer. So Silver Surfer is trapped on Earth by Galactus. That's right. And he's just circling the Earth, kind of <laughs> looking mournful. I, I'm, I'm so here for, uh, for the Silver Surfer looking sad. It's one of you my are. favorite things. Then you're, then in you are. That is what this series is. So you are <laughs> the a, target audience. Yeah. Not when he's angry or just anguished, but these moments where he's just like. Oh, like so bummed out and like <laughs> it it's really cute to me. There there's one one of my favorite panels from last year. I don't think we talked about it is um when Doctor Doom stripped him of his powers, mm-hmm. the prison guards were just torturing him with pictures of stars. Did you do you remember that? That's right. Yeah. No, we talked <laughs> about that. Yeah. Did we? Okay, so then the I I don't remember that's in the episode. Oh, it's so yeah. funny. Him just crawling on the ground and then being like Hey, so I heard you like planets, huh? And just holding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very sad. Um, anyway, so uh, the Silver Surfer used to be a alien named Norin Rad, and what's this planet called? Do you remember? He's from Zenla, Z E N N hyphen La. I hate these naming conventions for this this alien race. A lot of hyphens involved, yeah. and he is pining after his true love on Zen La, Shalabal. Shalabal. <laughs> Shalabal is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, she's such a bad character. She, um, we're both, we're mostly going to see her just pining after the Silver Surfer for the next three issues. Every yeah, time that's, we see that's her. fair. Yeah. That's all she does is just pine after missing Norrin Red. But it's funny, every time we see her, she's just draped over furniture. Like, <laughs> <laughs> hanging backwards over a chair yeah. just whining about not having yeah. a silver surfer around anyway norin rad he's from zella law is that what you said zen law zen law zen law i yeah awful um this planet is so highly advanced that they can absorb knowledge through a few minutes and it's like the matrix they can basically learn all of their you know their culture's learning in just a few minutes they have no need for work anymore, basically. Like, it's a completely hedonistic society because they've, they've achieved, achieved perfect peace in Utopia. It's all pleasure all the time. Which, like, I mean, that sounds fine, right? Like, <laughs> I, I 100% did not connect with Norrin Rad saying, like, oh, like, we don't have any more, div- uh, not diversity, <laughs> um, adversity. Yeah, right. There's no adversity in our society anymore, and that stinks, and I... You know, there's no more struggle, and so without struggle, what's the point? And he's just basically ruffling everyone's feathers. Everyone's just totally happy and enjoying their perfect utopia, and Norman right. can't just chill out and live with it for a minute. Um, yeah, he's like, what if things were worse, though? Has anyone yeah, exactly. thought of that? And everyone's <laughs> like, what? What is wrong with you? Yeah, this, the point, does, it does not work with me. Uh, he, there's a line here. Even the use of our once proud limbs affords us no pleasure, <laughs> because... They don't have, they just basically have walkways everywhere. <laughs> they don't have to walk anymore. Oh, I didn't even understand what he was talking about there. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's, and it's not like, uh, it's not like Wally, right? Where everyone's just like fat, happy, and simple. It's mm-hmm. basically like everyone is completely knowledgeable and everyone is a, a completely physically fit, happy genius. 
and yeah i guess the i guess the only counter there which maybe we'll kind of get to is like yeah. they're not they're not like afraid or like they're not, they're not ready like for prepared war. to defend themselves <laughs> yeah which I, I mean i guess that's a flaw in in society planning but maybe they just don't know aliens exist but it's also like it's also like a desirable flaw you know what i mean right to yeah, like exactly. be so like naive about threats that you're just not even preparing for them is like kind of sounds amazing <laughs> yeah it's pretty good you know so so what happens is galactus shows up and the they have no defense against him basically there's nothing they can do because you know they're not militaristic at all and noran rad is really rubbing it in everyone's face <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh and he demands the use of a rocket ship he's going to be the one to save them and he rockets up and that's when you know they have this cheesy thing where the the people left behind are like oh, he was right all along a thousand years ago a thousand people would have volunteered for this job and today it's only noran rad right so he goes up to galactus's planet which is now like a sphere it used to be some like mobius strip um now it's some big sphere i missed the mobius strip yeah that'll come back yeah okay and he goes and basically says to galactus this is a populated world you are destroying sentient life and galactus gives this whole spiel of like would you not step on an anthill if it saved your life? And, yeah. Um, and so Nornrad makes the bargain. You know what I was him. just thinking is, wouldn't it be funny if like Galactus, like he comes back to a planet a second time and he starts doing his anthill spiel and they're like, dude, you already did this. Like <laughs> you've already been over this. We didn't agree then. It was total BS. You're just hungry. Anyway, he's just making <laughs> I mean, excuses. We're going to, we're going to see that specific. I mean, he's going to come back to earth. Sorry. That's a what? spoiler. We will see. <laughs> yeah. We will see Galactus again and it will be just the same argument again. I don't even know that. Like, I don't remember any specifics. I just know that will happen. Yeah. yeah. But Norinred basically says, I'll be your herald. I will scope out fresh uninhabited planets for you to devour in exchange, you know, for my servitude, you will will you skip my planet? Right. And this leads to one of my favorite shots so far. I keep I've had a lot of my favorite shots this year. There's a shot Stacking of Galactus up. transforming. There's a series of shots transforming uh, Galactus transforming him into the Silver Surfer. But the one shot where he finally becomes the Silver Surfer, it's Norn Rad as the Silver Surfer on his knees, basically rising up, and it's Galactus's giant red hand behind him. Yeah. So cool. Really, really cool. Um, yeah, and that's basically his origin. While this is happening, I think the Silver Surfer is just, like, hovering around Earth. It, his whole thing on Earth is bemoaning the fact that we're all savages. Like, he's real haughty and superior <laughs> about, like... It's a lot of it's a lot of commentary on humanity. Um, but it, it's very through much Through the lens like, of the quote-unquote alien, but it's very much Stan kind of pontificating and philosophizing about the nature of man. feels very Holden Caulfield-esque. Of, you know oh i i think bigger and more operatic than that it's not i mean it, it is yeah it's well no see because I, I kind of think it's very very basic like 15 year olds like ah oh, like all humans are flawed and they're all greedy and they just think for themselves and they don't think of anyone but themselves and at their root we're all just you know animals who would club each other over a, a morsel of food and that's like basically the tone like it's it's a little cynical but uh, like I, it, I do think I do think taking philosophy to maybe seemingly basic levels is like I don't know there are, there are philosophers who are still quoted today of like you know Hobbes life is nasty brutish and short like that sure. is that is at play here where you, I think you have to start with philosophy 101 before yeah. you know before you can get a little more complex and I think that's where does, kind uh, of what Stan's doing 
Where does brawling a trio of yetis come into that? <laughs> that's a, that's a Silver Surfer number nineteen, which didn't John come Calvin. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's just the thing is that like the way he writes humans are, is totally, um, completely unsympathetic and ungenerously. Like because every time Silver Surfer walks, Silver Surfer will walk into a town square and say, "Like I mean you no harm. I am here to better your society," and everyone's like. Like, Who's get this him. weirdo? I don't want him in my neighborhood. Let's get him. Right. Like, yeah. Immediately. Yeah. And he's like, you know, and he's just this sad, cute silver man who's saying like, please let me help you. And they're like, shoot this man immediately. Like every, every civilian in this is just the worst case example, in, which is, you know, in a world full of superheroes, like people know who these people are. I don't know. It, it just, it rings a little false to me, but. Um, well, I, it's definitely over the top because that's the point of it but right, the idea yeah, that yeah. like left to their own devices people will behave badly and fear that which they don't understand is is a recurring theme of marvel and yeah. it, you know look at the x-men right um but well, it, I just, it's I feel like not something i disagree of... with too too often i think stan's got a point you know yeah. that he's hitting here it's not you know it's it's one of those like Hashtag not everyone, because there's, you know, one nice man in a village who points out, like, no, we should care for this person. But there's, like, I don't know, it's taking on mob mentality and anger. And that's, you know, you don't have to look far in our current climate to, to find that yeah. stuff. So it's yeah. still applicable. Yeah, I guess. It just, it, maybe just its heavy handedness was a turnoff for me. And also, we had that, like, I thought the way that he, his discourse with Alicia Masters throughout the Gal- mm. Galactus saga was a little bit more interesting take on some of this you know like getting him to sure. see humanity's um humanity's worth and now it's just like every human he comes across is basically a monster like every single one feels a little ungenerous but yeah, yeah. I, I get i get what you're saying i i just i mean we, we only read the first three issues maybe this gets you know stretched out a little bit more and he, he meets a d- more diverse set of people who don't immediately want to murder him every mm-hmm. time they run into him also like everyone who runs into an runs into him as an idiot because <laughs> they're like let me middle-aged businessman tackle the silver surfer who just came flying out of the sky i'll hold him down yeah right? that's and, just wild <laughs> yeah and he's blasting cosmic blasts and they're like all right let's let's get him we can beat him up with our fists like it's yeah um yep so that's number one <laughs> <laughs> That smooth transition <laughs> segue into number <laughs> that was me trying to like signal like save me from this dave i have nothing more yeah. to say no that's totally it and i mean so issue two is called wind lands the saucer and you know it, it made me think like the second issue of agent of shield is is in big old alien story and so is the second issue of silver surfer yeah and i don't know if that's intentional fantastic four number two you know famously is is the scrolls so also a big alien issue i don't mm-hmm. know if that's like the second or the second spider-man story which was actually amazing spider-man number one also had an alien right that weird tinkerer you know so i I don't know there's maybe coincidence but yeah um regardless this is stan john buscema josanette inks sam rosen letters um you know one thing i noticed right up front was i was surprised by how much i saw artist mike allred's silver surfer which is a more modern run um in these john buscema drawings where he's got these really dark heavy blacks on the eyelids and mm, i yeah. i obviously have not you know and i'm not quoting mike allred here but like the stylistically is very much in keeping um with like a more modern style 
that I'm familiar with, which I thought was cool. It's nice to I see really that liked, like legacy. Yeah, I really like the inking here. Like I think mm-hmm. a, a, the art in the Silver Surfer issues here is really great. Yeah, all three all three of them are very solid. Yeah, and I I don't want to do a ton of plot on this because honestly, I think a no. lot of what we just talked about covers it. It's the Silver Surfer identifies an alien invasion, and the people that he encounters they want to rough him up and they don't um, want to play nice, and nobody believes him. the The one crazy thing through all this is the aliens. Um, are like kind of invisible. So everybody thinks the Silver Surfer is just going off, like yeah. destroying things of his own accord. The the most interesting call out I think of this issue is um, well, like is the alien race themselves are the Badoon, and the Badoon, as Stan notes oh, in an editor's Badoon. note, are going to come back in the original Guardians of the Galaxy, which we will be oh. reading I think next year. <laughs> I said that um, like jokingly as if that meant something, the Badoon, but I yeah, guess it yeah. okay. <laughs> the Badoon are the Badoon are like the original Guardians of the Galaxy, like villainous alien race. So this is oh, actually God, where they really? get their start. Ugh. The Badoon did nothing for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh there was yeah. a quote here that I liked from Stan, um, and it kind of sums up the surfers assessment of humanity at this point mm-hmm. is a race so filled with fear, with dark distrust, with seeds of smoldering violence. And uh, it's basically driving the Silver Surfer mad <laughs> that this is like the the way these people are. I don't know. That it just feels like Zack Schneider's Silver Surfer, right? That like <laughs> that's interesting. That, that really so like the pessimism of it, the, yeah, the just right. sort of it's very depressed, like there's no out. You think is is sort of like unbecoming. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, especially like in this setting where it's it's not the road, right? <laughs> where yeah. to to trust a man is to you know put your life in his hands. This is you know it's like downtown Manhattan and Silver Surfers just yeah. walking down the street like greetings, like how can I make life for humans better? And people want to murder him. So yeah, I think I I think that yeah. well we already just talked about that a bunch, but yeah, uh, no, no, it's an interesting take. Like I didn't I didn't pick up on that as much because I just know that's the trope. Like, I just know that's the trope of this mag. Um, but yeah, no, it's an interesting thing about it. It's also like, it's the, it's very much like the Hulk, right? That's just the Hulk's thing. But it like, it works a little better for the Hulk because the Hulk is a big intimidating monster. And the Silver Surfer is like, he's sleek. He's sexy. He's... Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that with the next issue. Because I, I think one question I have is like, what does work for the Silver Surfer? So I, I'll mention just issue number two ends with the Surfer's like, he has a chance to sneak through the barrier. And like in the Badoon's force field, you know, maybe it'll work to get him through the Galactus barrier that keeps him trapped, which is clearly all he wants. And then he remembers as he's doing it that he's left <laughs> this uh, civilian that they had imprisoned, this Earth girl in limbo. And he's like, oh, I got to go back for her. <laughs> you know, yeah. so he does. He does the heroic thing, which is very true to his character. He goes back and makes sure she's OK. And he brings her back to Earth and drops her off. And basically everyone's like, look, he murdered a girl. (laughs) (laughs) And he's he's like, please, no, I'm trying to heal her with cosmic powers, which is a thing he can do. Like, he can do cosmic healing, I guess. Cosmic powers are wild. Yeah. yeah, They are are hard to peg. And we talk about this in the Doom, uh, when Doom steals them in FF 57 through 60. But, like, Doom uses them like they're a cosmic cube. And right. the Silver Surfer uses them like like energy rays and yeah. like maybe healing but also rays. To heal people. So he tries to heal this girl and he's run off. Basically, a bunch of cops start like firing at him and he melts their guns and he gets chased off and he's angry. Mm-hmm. Humanity for not trusting in him. And he flies off into the sky and is like, he's just furious and he wants to get revenge. He kind of like 
is is leaning into his worst instincts basically right. uh that he's going to like teach humanity a lesson and he de- decides to destroy earth not destroy earth but like bring civilization to a standstill and mm-hmm. he with what looks like no effort at all stops all power plants working across the country or the world I th- oh no the world because we get to world. see like yeah we get to see a, a russian spaceship halt in its place we see a, a satellite up in Earth with a, an astronaut saying like, oh, all, all communication with Earth is shut down. Like, I can mm-hmm. still, all the lights have gone off. And and then like, <laughs> almost immediately he calms down and he's like, all right, I guess I can just turn everything back on. And, <laughs> and he does. So, yeah. Right. Um, but again, like, it kind of just shows that he probably could destroy the world if he wanted really easily. Like. Just floating up in the sky, he just shuts down all of civilization and turns off the lights. That does feel like kind of an important power statement because, yeah, he's not, yeah. he's at like, he's not just, um, I don't know, Thor or something. Right. Like there are yeah. differences maybe. So the main plot here is that we go to, I don't know where this is, hell? Like some kind yeah. of creepy yeah. underworld. Is this, is this actually hell? Like, I don't mm. I mean, I hell's know. tough to tough to pin down, but that's well, the I mean, idea. Hell becomes a place in Marvel, right? Like, hell this, is a, a Marvel locale. So the realm of Mephisto is yeah. Marvel's hell, as okay. I understand it. With two L's, mind you. Oh, right. As opposed to the Asgardian underworld, right? I would need to do some a little a little research on defining <laughs> it because... I mean, it doesn't uh, matter at all. Like, who cares? <laughs> well, now you're bu- now you're bugging me because I'm wondering, or the question's bugging me because I'm wondering if we've seen Hela and Mephisto like fighting over different regions. I can't actually remember offhand. Um, I mean, Hela anyway. showed up in that last Thor issue, but I don't think we've seen her in her realm. They're definitely not at this point, and yeah. no, we have not. Yeah. Anyway, so Mephisto is clearly like a a Satan analog, right? He's kind of this big devilish character. Yeah. rules a bunch of you know little demons and it's very very dark magic and uh and he sees the silver surfer basically shut down i have to stop saying basically i think it's it's my worst like filler word hmm. he sees the surfer silver surfer shut down all of earth's power and he says oh i'll be able to manipulate this guy into i don't even know what, what's his deal what does he want to do just bad stuff mayhem does he want to kill everyone or does he want to steal the silver surfer's powers Mephisto? Yeah, he's a bad guy. I mean, I always think like Mephisto wants to corrupt good people. So yeah, I maybe think th- maybe that's he sees the nobility of the Silver Surfer of Nornrad and like that's a big win for him if he's yep. like, I can get this guy corrupted. That's like, that's I think what he's most excited about. Yeah. So he decides the best way to do that. He kidnaps Shalabal, uh, Nornrad. <laughs> really fun to say actually yeah <laughs> um he kidnaps her his lady love who's draped over the back of a couch like a depressed 14 year old <laughs> and uh <laughs> brings her to his realm and basically it brings and then brings the silver surfer to his realm as well and tries to tempt him into i don't know giving up his power what God, i don't even remember like he, he tries to corrupt the silver surfer and it's yeah. very it's very much like jesus and the devil in the in the desert right right like he just he lays out a lot of different temptations for him here's a bunch of jewels and treasure here is a bunch of women like you want shalabal here's three women instead uh i'll give you ultimate power i'll make you a king i'll make you fight a bunch of 
golems. <laughs> well, that that's yeah. supposed to be a punishment, not a coercion. But um, and you know, Silver Surfer isn't having any of it because he's so pure of mind and noble of heart. Which again, like, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm being I'm being fussy about this because I actually generally liked. I mean, isn't this? Would you say this is the best of the three? Because I I definitely would. I think it's a bit long. Um, I think it drags on. I like the first one. I think a little more. Okay, uh, interesting. But, the origin. Yeah, yeah. But no, this is good. I'm being a little nitpicky. Just that the Silver Surfer is not that interesting of a character to me because like his characterization is he's noble but good. You know, mm-hmm. right? Like <laughs> he's pure but humble right there's mm. no there's no real like interesting darkness except that he eventually has he'll get a little mad if he gets shot enough times by the cops like <laughs> and his temper will flare up but it's it's not the hulk right he doesn't have this really dark side he doesn't have huge flaws he's just a real good guy because what happens here is mephisto enters his mind to try to steal his powers and take over his mind and the Silver Surfer is so good and so pure that he starts corrupting Mephisto, or not corrupting, but like purifying Mephisto and turning him good, I guess. And it's mm-hmm. like so repulsive to Mephisto that he, you know, banishes Silver Surfer from his realm and sends Shalabal back to Zelmanar. Nah. <laughs> I love that you can't get that. <laughs> I, d- I don't know what it is. <laughs> Zenla. Zenla. Zenla, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't... I. I think the Messiah angle and definitely the biblical Jesus and the devil story is like, is an interesting parallel and can bring out some, because Silver Surfer does not have um, like flaws basically at this point, you know, like he's got internal strife, which is the Marvel staple, but there's definitely nothing where you look at him and you're like, I guess, I don't know, I guess like his mopiness, one of the seven sins, because that he's strong on that one. External strife. Right, like all of his strife comes from he's trapped on Earth. Yeah, Bes- right. Besides that, he doesn't really have any problems or like any real internal life. Like if he was free to roam the galaxy, he'd be totally fine and just a very generic Superman esque, like totally noble hero mm-hmm. with with no mm-hmm. interesting flaws or complexity. What, yeah, so what, I guess you know, I like, guess the question I have coming out of it is like, is the Silver Surfer? only interesting if he's in space or a supporting character is what i think like I, I, I would guess that he's going to be most interesting as a supporting character and having him be the main point of view is going to be really tough to do despite yeah. me actually thinking these are okay like i like these i just have a hard time buying that i'm going to be into this for 40 issues like i would want to read 40 more issues of him because the most interesting thing about him is that he's very powerful but that's that's only going to last so long hold my interest for so long yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen it described as like, so it, one thing we haven't even mentioned is this is definitely the biggest Stan Lee production without Jack or Steve Yeah, that we've seen um, where he's been on a title, you know, without the influence of Jack Kirby or Steve Ditko, and he is telling a story the way he wants to tell it. So I, there's a lot of like, and we've talked about this a little bit, but like, you know, is Stan... Well, that's not true. He's with John Romita. So anyway, non-Spider-Man version. It's like it's kind of it's kind of the solo stand book. Obviously, John Buscema being an influence, but you really get to see like what he wants to do if he has free reign yeah. to write a comic, essentially. And it's very Shakespearean. It's very operatic, yeah. and it's very lamenting the 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 problems of humanity. Um, and I think it's like this is to me like this is like 
pure Stan, more so than you're going to see anywhere in Marvel. And some people are going to be super into that, some not. Um, but it's, I think it stands alone and like is very important in that regard because mm-hmm. you just you don't really see a book like this uh, anywhere else, you know. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think I sound really negative. <laughs> Again, I have to say, like, I enjoyed these. I liked reading all three of these. I, I think I'm just being a little nitpicky because I actually liked it. And it's like, it's almost easier to engage and pick apart books that are pretty good, right? Like when a book is just kind of trash from top to bottom, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like peeling apart the themes feels useless because there's no- nothing works about it. I think a lot works about this. So that that makes me kind of, you know, I'm trying to judge it a little bit more on its level. And I mm-hmm. think it's pretty good. Like, I, I like this. I just, I'm I'm a little suspicious that I think this idea would hold up without some major tweaks. Without him having more interesting moral uh, situations that he comes across, more detailed or specific or complicated, like a little more gray area in what he's dealing with or a little yeah. bit more like interesting moral choices instead of just everyone wants to shoot him in the head (laughs) just like every single human he runs across hates him for no particular well actually you know what something we brushed over i keep saying this for no particular reason at one point he thought that he would solve humans problems by doing like the ozymandias thing of having them band together against a common foe oh yeah 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 which is not in these series i think that was that must have been in fantastic four that he tried to like Oh, I'm gonna conquer the earth, and I'll pretend to be a conqueror so that they'll all band together and forget their. Yeah, problems. that's an FF <laughs> issue. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. So maybe, maybe that might be kind of seventy-four reason. would be my guess, but I could. If be that's wrong. actually the number, I'm gonna be impressed slash disgusted with you that you know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be worried. <laughs> you know what? I, okay, so to be fair, like saying that, that kind of recontextualizes how everyone is reacting to him. It's just. I don't think they bring that up. They're not like, it's the guy who tried to invade us, right? It's that Namor thing. Like, it makes sense that people would hate Namor and be terrified of him because he did try to conquer all of Earth at one point. Right. Like, you've done things that do justify this, maybe. Right. Yeah. So that maybe throws this in a new context. But I I don't know. I like these. I just, I wish it was a little better. Um, But I like the Silver Surfer. Like, I think he's an interesting character. And I think he's an interesting, like, support character uh, more than maybe listening to him his internal monologue interesting okay okay yeah so i just looked it up fantastic four number 74 is uh a wind calls galactus and it does include both oh uh, galactus God. and the surfer so i feel like i might be right we need to get you away from comic books <laughs> <laughs> good luck good luck that's that's wild okay <laughs> i mean that feels like um when I was like 19 and I could just tell you like in order every album that, you know, some artist put out in every, every year that they could do it, that kind of weird mm-hmm. trivia where I could list everything, but I, I can't do that anymore about anything. And it's crazy that you can remember. <laughs> how, how far does that go for you? Do you think like you would remember any issue number above 100 for Fantastic Oh, Four? no, no, definitely not. I mean, it's specifics. It's specific ones. I mean, I, there's a lot of like, you know, semi-useless trivia. So, like, I, we didn't talk about this, but maybe I should say this for the variant. But short story: at C two E two, I got I got able to go on a panel this week in Marvel, the podcast they do, and they were doing uh like a Spider Man villains tournament, and I got yeah. assigned the Rhino, and 
off the top of my head, they bring me up there. They're like, all right, say why the rhino's cool. And I'm like, well, an amazing Spider-Man number 41 released in 1966 by Stan Lee, John Romita, you know, cause like we had just talked about it on my Marvel this oh year, my God. Okay. but it's like one of those things where I'm like, oh, that's maybe not <laughs> What's totally <interesting>? normal, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but definitely that's not, um, I can't do that for, for everything. I mean, you know, yeah. here and there. And that, I don't know, we've talked about this on the variant covers, but like, my my comics journey is like pretty recent, <laughs> like yeah. you know, yeah. c- compared to a lot of people who have literally well, the been reading is, these like, books since they came out. So, I've been reading, um, like for example, I've been reading the series Die. Right, we talked about that a little bit, mm-hmm. and I think five issues have come out. Stephanie Hans had one of the funniest things anybody said to me at a at C two two by the way. But yes, uh, four or four, five issues. Four or five issues of that have come out. And if you asked me like, hey, which issue did this little plot point happen? I'd be like, oh, I don't know. I just oh, yeah, read those sure. and I, I love mean, I do them. a lot of that too. Yeah. But like, yeah, I just think that's right. Oh, what, what did Stephanie Hans say? Um, I was going around talking to creators and asking like, hey, you know, I, I'm from Dave from Combo Herald. My, you know, audience likes a lot of, you know, where to start and like jumping on points. What would be some comics that like, you would recommend as starting points or that were important to you. And uh, she, she was like, and she has, um, I, I don't know. Exactly. Is this the artist for Die? Yeah, she's the artist for Die. And she has okay. like, I, I want to say like a Spanish accent, but it's probably, it was kind of hard to understand, I guess it's just volume and accent based. Yeah, sure. And right, right. for so. me, and she says to me like, oh, like, should I know what that is? And I'm like, oh, just comic book girls, just a side I do. She's like, yeah, I don't know that at all. <laughs> like, and that's fine. And like, she wasn't like rude about it. It was just like, um, it came across as it was like the words were insulting, but the way she was saying them was not. You know, um, <laughs> I'm like, that's fine. Like most people don't, um, but you don't have to point out how small my site is. <laughs> that is very funny. Like, yeah, it was I good. Know? She was really nice. Like, I can't undersell. It that, just, but. it just was a little that the way she phrased it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to jump into, we took, took a little break and now we're back to talk about these last two annuals, Amazing Spider-Man number five, annual number five. Amazing Spider-Man annual number five. This is the parents of Peter Parker. And uh, this is by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber on art, I think. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> this took me for this really took me for a loop because Larry Lieber, he's so he's Stanley Lieber, Lieberman, I believe is his yeah. his given name. The, the um, Lieber brothers, Stanley's brother, and uh, he's written some scripts that we've seen, but we haven't seen his name for a while. And here he is turning up on art with Mickey DeMio inks and Art Samek letters on a big old AMS annual. Now, the parents of Peter Parker; these are not characters that uh, we spend a lot of time thinking about up to this point. I think mm-hmm, once you right. get into the world of Spider Man. It's just, yeah, his parents are dead, and uh, Aunt May and Uncle Ben are the parental figures that we talk about and that we think about. But all of a sudden, here we have in in 1968 the idea of, like, what, what did happen to his parents? That is not a story that has been told. And, of course, in the Mary Marvel manner, it is told in a very um, high, high stakes, uh, mm-hmm. you know, sort of intriguing way. So I know let's let's get into it the issue opens with spider-man versus a bunch of henchmen in algeria yeah it's uh, interesting i mean that that opening in media res especially him being in algeria definitely gets you in the mindset of like oh it's happening it's, right I, I honestly was i was thinking maybe i just missed an issue but no they're just starting you out in the middle of stuff 
Right. It starts out in the middle of it. And then um, I, I really love during this too, there's a henchman who comes running at him with a cart full of watermelons. <laughs> <laughs> the watermelon gag is pretty funny. Yeah. Just... <laughs> and that sets up some good stand jokes. Um, and basically throughout all this, Spidey's fighting the henchman and it kind of ends with him getting like clipped by a bullet and falls to the ground. And then he's, as he's sort of recovering, he's flashing back to how he got to this point. <laughs> all the super villains that Spider-Man has fought in this point have yet to be able to take him down, but a chubby guy in a fez, like firing at him. He even saw the guy. <laughs> he saw him from a distance. Oh no, he's got a gun. And then he just clipped him like right in the skull <laughs> with a bullet. It kind of ricocheted off. Like it didn't even make a mark on the mask. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty funny. Never estimate a, a guy in a fez, I think is the lesson of that. Um, but yeah, so basically it cuts back to Pete at home with Aunt May and he's carrying some boxes and essentially a newspaper clipping falls out that um, reveals that his parents, Richard and Mary Parker, were traitors. So Aunt May dun, dun, had hung dun. on to this, you know, kind of the last thing they had heard of Peter's parents was this newspaper story suggesting that they were traitorous spies um, working against American interests. And this sends good old Peter Parker into a serious tailspin. He is really, really bothered by this news. Um, and it would be, it would be a weird one. <laughs> I mean, not, not unduly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would be a strange thing to find out about uh, your parents. Cause it, it seems like essentially he doesn't, it seems like this issue, he knows as much about his parents as we do, which is right. to say like yeah. nothing, you know? Yeah. He, it wasn't like he had some preconceived notion that they were in one occupation and now he finds out they were actually spies. I mean, at least that doesn't come to the forefront. No, no, totally. So uh, basically he's he's frantic about this news and he kind of can't let it go. And he's like, I have to go to Algeria, this country that they were, uh, the, that the incident happened in. Plane crash. I don't know if we said that. Um, to, to see if anybody knows anything, see if anybody still remembers anything. And obviously Pete's, I mean, what do we got him here? 18, probably. Um, so it's, it's only been, you know, less than 18 years, 17, 16 years since this happened. It's not completely implausible that there might be information or people who would have information. Um, Peter catches a ride with Mr. Fantastic. He goes to the kind of smartly goes to the Fantastic <laughs> Four and says, Hey, do you guys have any, you know, gizmos I can use for this? And, uh, Mr. Fantastic. Yeah, that, that felt very practical, right? Like, yeah, I'm in the superhero community. I need a quick plane ride. Who's got the tech and He's right. They have a, a plane they can drop him off in. I like that they don't actually drop him off. They just fly over Algeria, and he jumps out and makes a parachute out of his webs. And I will call out here, Reed, so Reed flies him the yeah. the 2,000 miles. And uh, Reed, if if this issue, and I don't know, I don't have the dates in front of me, if it definitely comes out in front of FF Annual number 6, which we're going to talk about next, but dude's got a pregnant wife at home, and maybe some responsibilities that do not um, really jive with the 2,000-mile joyride with your good pal Spider-Man. I don't know if this You're is... You're reading way too much into this. <laughs> I'm just saying he should be hearing it from Things Sue. are still so compartmentalized like that, you know, like those, those plot lines don't really necessarily overlap. Hey, this is a weird question. Have we ever seen Sue Storm actually pregnant, like looking pregnant? I can't remember a single image of her, you know, with like a pregnant belly. I can't picture I mean, it. I, I don't know why I'm curious about that, but it just feels kind of odd that that's not an image that I can recall. It's an interesting question. Um, I mean, the last we've seen her 
in the club was like getting bed rest while mm-hmm. Reed and the boys went and fought the Psycho Man. Uh, but I don't know. But she's like under a sheet the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. That's all the image of it. I have of her I, pregnant is just in bed. Yeah, I don't know how intentional that is or why that would be super intentional, but that's yeah. an interesting call out. We'll, we'll get into my, my issues with how they show <laughs> Sue's pregnancy in the next issue. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so Spidey, once he winds up in Algeria, um, you know, this kind of brings us up to speed with where we were at the beginning of the story. And basically he tracks down the who's behind the spy ring and who would have information. And through doing this, he tracks down the one, the only, the Red Skull, the Captain America villain. What is behind. a weird twist. It's bizarre. And it's, I, I like it. I know you don't because we talked yeah, about this I, yesterday. It, this threw you, right? I, no, it's not so much that like it's implausible or anything. That makes sense. You know, I don't know. Red Skull, if Peter Parker's parents are really government spies, uh, they're actually spies and they were double agents working for the Red Skull, but uh, or working for the government, ostensibly working for the Red Skull. That all kind of tracks. It's just, okay, this is the the beginning of something that's going to, I'm going to complain about a lot as time goes forward. It, that is writers needing to make every little detail tied into the larger superhero world continuity and making them relevant do do you know what i mean right so like i know what you mean but i don't i don't know what you mean by it in this uh context right like it's not just enough that peter parker doesn't have parents they had to have been killed by a supervillain you know it's that thing of like i i think i was just talking about this and i made this up as an example but you know uncle ben he's not just he wasn't just a war veteran he was a war veteran that fought alongside Captain America. And, right. you know, like everything needs to be so, so, so in- interconnected in real logistical or um, like literal ways. Mm-hmm. Where there needs to be literal ties between everything and everything needs to be explained. I think X-Men is really guilty of this. We're going to see this with X-Men a lot. Like the backstories get filled out so that everything is, is so... Uh, Every villain and hero is, you know, significant in some way. And it can't just be thematic. It needs to be, like, a literal... It all it all ties together in in very neat, um, like, ways sometimes. I, I hear what you're it, saying. Oh, it's, it's that... Okay, so it's that thing where people are upset in The Last Jedi. And if you haven't seen The Last Jedi, this is a minor spoiler. But that Rey's parents are no one, right? That they weren't anyone right, significant. Okay. It's the, that being upset about that... And, you know, that they're not, oh, she, her, she's not actually Luke Skywalker's daughter. And, right. you know, if she had been, that would have been that kind of, like, everything needs to tie together because that's the only way a story is satisfying in, you know, literal plot ways they need to tie together. Mm-hmm. And I feel like writers lean into that because they think that that lends a significance to their writing. That makes, that lends a, it, it's a gravity that's already there and they're just kind of piggybacking off of it instead of building up something of their own yeah i know what you mean i mean there's a certain uh I mean, th- this isn't the most egregious but yeah it's the beginning of that thing that i'm sure i'm gonna complain about a lot well i think that's interesting so i take it then that you really like the subversion of that in the last jedi where oh yeah actually it's no yeah. one it's not it's not going to be the skywalkers or obi-wan like everyone connects i think that's a smart way around it because we expect it now i do think you know to like in storytelling credit i think connecting it to the larger verse is Mm -hmm. it gets my attention and it it i think it can be criticized as like fan service 
but it also, I think, does genuinely get me more interested because I already have a connection to the Red Skull. And if you just say, so he unveils this assassin he has called the Finisher to go take out Spider-Man. <laughs> if the Finisher was the one behind the spy ring, I don't care about this story hardly at all. That's you know true. what I mean? I, so, I think something else that that uh, lends that irritates me about this. It, and again, like I don't hate this. This is not the most egregious example. This is just the first time this this type of storytelling has come up, and so I'm using it as the a springboard to talk about this. And I, I don't think this is the worst. But as far as I know, Red Skull is not like some huge Spider-Man villain moving forward. And that's I I agree that I think it would have been worse if it had been like Doctor Octopus. You know, I think actually having it red, be Red Skull, someone who's not a direct Spider-Man villain, is better. Yeah. Because if it was just Dr. Octopus, then that's just like everything has to be this coincidence. And that's just, it really beggars belief. I, but yeah, I, I think, I also don't know if this does anything moving forward. I, I think I joked around with you later, like, if the Avengers are fighting Red Skull in, when Spider-Man joins the Avengers, is there any point where he's just like, Oh, yeah, that guy killed my parents. Like, right. is he extra mad at this guy? That kind of feels like this would set Red Skull up to be a, an arch villain for Spider-Man. And more than almost anything else that happens to him would make him hate this guy. And it doesn't seem like that carries forward from this issue. Yeah, I, that was a really interesting point because I almost never, I, I just haven't thought about it. Like the idea that Spider-Man should have Red Skull as maybe one of his arch villains if this story is successful in establishing like Red Skull as the reason for not only killing his parents, but like besmirching their, their good name. Right. Um, but I, that really doesn't play out. I'm sure there are stories that I'm sort of overlooking, but there are smaller ones definitely. And it's probably um, a throwaway line here or there instead of. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely doesn't become a big thing, which is interesting. Uh, and I don't, I don't know that it's something I would want, you know, like I don't think the skull fits like he's a he's no, a cap villain and he's cap's arch nemesis i don't know that there's a lot of crossover potential in the way that like we'll see with kingpin um yeah where obviously he'll become like a big daredevil villain but i like if you think about okay what's the story of spider-man versus the skull i'm there are good ways to do it i'd be curious to see that but there are none that come to mind yeah and um, it's not that batman joker the weight of the relationship between batman and joker because joker killed a robin Right, like right. that immediately right. sets up Joker on a higher tier. It, it's a more personal vendetta for him when he faces off against this villain than anyone else because the stakes are that much more personal. I, yeah. I feel like that doesn't come in play into play for Spider-Man. Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting point, and I I wonder if that's something that maybe we'll see more of um, in the future. But again, like it's yeah, I I guess to your initial point, it does feel sort of like well, who's the Who's the supervillain we could throw into this scenario that would get some attention and be kind of a cool twist as opposed to actually like setting the stage for future stories because it's not – they don't really seem to actually do that. Coming out of this, um, I guess, you know, the way it – like it does have kind of a neat bow at the end of it, which, you know, Peter's, Peter Parker basically – he finds the evidence after battling the Red Skull and his assassins and – and let's face it. He looks through the Red Skull's filing cabinets, finds yeah. his parents' spy card. Yeah, <laughs> They've got right. like a spy membership card. And then later when the uh, the headquarters are burning down, the heat causes the card to melt. And this is, it's so funny that Peter Parker's father would put his actual government ID hidden inside his spy card. 
Right. <laughs> it's like yeah. the spy card inside the spy card. <laughs> yeah, totally. But like in finding this, he's able to exonerate his parents essentially yeah. and restore their memory. So it's like kind of the the battle is done, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, the skull does hang around. So I don't know. It's an interesting issue. I mean, I think like the wilder thing here is that Peter Parker's parents are like super secret agents. <laughs> oh, that too. Like, right. Yeah. That, you know, that they seems... can't just have a, they weren't accountants that died in a plane crash. You know, they're mm-hmm. like, they have this big backstory and people have played with that. I mean, I've seen stuff here and there, but not a ton comes from that either. Yeah. I've seen a few like Peter Parker's parents spy stories. Yeah. I, what are their names? Richard and Mary. Richard and Mary. Yeah. 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 I've seen some spy and stories Richard that are is not that successful. Ben's brother. Yes, yeah, right. Called out in this issue as well. Um, so yeah, long story short, you know, these are these are the parents of Spider-Man. They're not characters that we're going to see a ton of, um, but this is how this is how they tell that story, and that's going to take us to another annual that has um, big, big like I don't know debuts, and mm-hmm. and this one actually has a lot more impact moving forward. Um, but again, I don't think like I don't think either of us are like these are the best darn issues. No, I think these are the year. worst issues of their respective series this year having read most i've read everything from spider-man this year and most of the fantastic four this year Mm -hmm. and i think these two are actually the worst issues weirdly enough i don't i don't dislike the fantastic four one as much as i do the spider-man one but uh i think fantastic four series this year is much better overall yeah Um, i i probably like this annual a little bit more than you but a lot of that is what it introduces um i I like it okay it's it's a bit long that's all like this well such such is the life of an annual yeah yeah it just doesn't feel like it quite needs this amount of these this amount of pages to tell this story like it you know probably i'm trying to fit this into a normal story i'm trying to think because we've we've definitely said that a few times yeah and you know we're coming Very up. few times have that worked i think the spider the first spider-man annual all the pages worked right like, sinister felt, six yeah. yeah yeah that one was really good um i liked oh, i like first annual page. two i would Is that say the one with namor that's doom or is that Oh, okay. Yeah, both of those. You get number two one Doom stories. Two. Yeah. Yeah, but I liked annual number one and two for Fantastic Four. Yeah. Um, but that might be it. The rest of them, I feel, are a little overly long, and they don't know how to pace out a much longer issue. Right, right. No, I, I don't know that I disagree too much. Yeah, so do you want to dive into this one? This is Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Joe Sinet, and Sam Rosen. And uh, yeah, what do we got? Annual number six. So Sue Storm is going into labor. And the, the, her and the baby are in danger because of the cosmic radiation in her blood that caused them to turn to the Fantastic Four. Um, it's not really clear why all of a sudden her life is in danger because of this radiation, but maybe that makes sense for the baby. It's like it's going uh, to be a comp Like, they don't know what the impact on the birth is going to be, and it's a danger that, you know, Reed is pretty desperately trying to mitigate. And he's really cut it to the the 11th hour here <laughs> because it's like <laughs> sue's you know it's i don't know we've necessarily gotten the sense that he's been working on this ever since they they found out um right but now he, she's in labor he realizes well i i need element x which is yeah just that he can get in the negative zone which I, I like that they're going back to the negative zone even if that place is weird and doesn't quite make sense to me yet of like what i like the strangeness of, a, of it honestly yeah, it just doesn't have, like, a cohesion to it that I quite understand, right? Like, 
there's negative molecules, but on the negative Earth, but then the rest of it is not that way. Like, it doesn't... Everything's like, not just, like, the inverse or something like that, no. Right, like, there's outer space, things are just weird and spacey, but then there's also the negative Earth that causes, like, he can't touch because they'll explode and collapse the universe or something. Sure, yeah. So the boys all go to the negative zone, and in the negative zone, there's this big old bug guy bug creature mm-hmm. uh, named annihilus he who annihilates i think is a direct quote and yeah he who annihilates is pretty good i also really like annihilus the living death that walks which comes like oh, one yeah. page later he's not quite that cool looking to to live up to that title but i i don't hate his design i think his design's pretty good especially when he uh unfurls those wings he's a green he and gets. purple scary metallic bug yeah with really big wings um yeah I like him I like him as much as some of the weirder Kirby designs from this year, like the Mangog, who is in uh Thor number one fifty four to number one fifty seven. And did I talk about yesterday how I might have messed up on Thor? Uh no, I don't, I don't think okay. so. Okay. Let me do a quick I wanna hide this in the back <laughs> of the episode. I messed up on those Thor issues. Thor one fifty four, I think. I maybe I'm off here. One fifty four to one fifty seven, I think, is the coming of the Mangog. Um, or mm-hmm. to wake the Mangog, those okay. issues are way better than what I picked with the Wrecker. Those are so good. Check out those Thor issues. They're awesome. Jason Aaron mentioned them being the primary inspiration for his Thor run, uh, which has gone from 2012 to present day. And uh, it's it's really good stuff. And that Mangog design is wild. And that's why I started talking about this. Annihilus. Yeah. Okay. I think, just a second, let me see. I might have already put that into extra issues. Um, but if I, I haven't. Did. Oh, no, I haven't yet, but I will. So the boys all head off to the negative zone. Annihilus captures them. He is just this big space-conquering warlord bug man. We don't really get that much more motivation, I don't think. Uh, or if there is, I don't remember it. it was, well, <laughs> so, he, enough. so he wants, he has this cosmic control rod that gives him basically immortality. And I believe he says something to the effect of, I must destroy all threatening life so that mm-hmm. no one can take my cosmic control rod. So I, I view him very golem That's right. He's yeah. very like, I need this ring. I need this control mm-hmm. rod. It gives me immortality. It's all that matters to him is eternal life. Yeah. And so they, they're trapped by him. He also is the one who has this element X that Reed wants to get. Uh, <laughs> he, he sets a, a series of traps uh, for the boys, which I think are very funny, a trap door opens up above them, and a giant boot comes down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I love. I love the big boot, and um, and then I think he attacks Johnny Storm with a big sponge. It's so strange. It's um, a giant flying sponge that to, will to, like soak up stop his, his flame. Yeah. yeah, and Reed gets attacked with a buzzsaw, buzzsaw, which is very funny. These are very like Home Alone esque. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, traps like I could I could set a trap with a boot, a buzzsaw, and a a sponge. I have those things in my house. Yeah, right. If you have the the technology and the negative zone labor, like <laughs> these are very. Uh, these are I, I have inventive. a cosmic control rod, so yeah, I can I can set all this up. Oh, good, <laughs> good. Um, You've got the essentials. So meanwhile, back back on Earth, like Crystal is the only person who's with Sue Storm at the hospital. Um, <laughs> Crystal bursts into the doctor's office, who's looking at Sue's blood under a microscope. And it's like, what's happening? What's happening with Sue Storm? And the doctor says, Miss, you shouldn't be here. But, well, since you're already here, I'll let you know. Just the, the most egregious violations of HIPAA 
<laughs> law I've ever seen where like, who are you? You shouldn't be here. Well, let me lay out the patient's case for you since you're already in here. And just basically says the same thing. Her blood is has cosmic radiation and they don't know what it's going to do. Um, I mean, uh, before anyone writes to me, I know HIPAA didn't exist till the 90s. Um, I don't remember how they defeat Annihilus. There's a bunch of fights that like, this is what went way too long for me is the actual fight with Annihilus and running from him. And Reed does pull the cos- so like Reed they finally escape one of his trap rooms and Reed pulls the cosmic control rod you know uh-huh. out from Annihilus's chest and they then escape like you know they steal his spaceship as well yeah. um, and go flying off into space where Annihilus obviously pursues them and is firing away but this is you know this is the thing and they get stuck on those rocks those same comets that are hurtling towards earth i like read at one point says i remember these rocks yeah yeah (laughs) and they realize that they're all there but then annihilus kind of saves them by attacking them there and they're able to grab some tech from him that allows them to to jetpack off the these rocks and back Mm -hmm. towards the positive zone is that what we call our world that's what i don't know that i've heard it that but why not i mean it seems like that would that would make sense there's also the the I was complaining about how like this doctor is just telling anyone who wanders into the lab about Sue Storm's case. I mm-hmm. already had this written down and thought that was ridiculous. And then we cut to a literal press conference where there's reporters saying, "What's the condition of Sue Storm?" And they're like, <laughs> "Doctor, if you'd please <laughs> tell everybody what's happening with Sue Storm's blood." And reporters are clamoring to ask questions about her medical condition while she's in labor. It's a high-profile pregnancy, man. This drove me nuts because do you know how many panels in this? This is, I think, 48 pages. Mm-hmm. Do you know how mm-hmm. many panels in this entire issue have Sue Storm in it? Oh, boy. Uh, three. Wow. Three, three. Three panels out of 48 pages. I would have I gone higher. Wow. Yeah. That, yeah, I counted. I went back and read through. Like, how can you be? Th- this entire issue is about Sue Storm's labor, and she is so sidelined. From her own labor, it's it's ridiculous. It's, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know. Maybe they just were uncomfortable, like writing any kind of story having to do with the actual experience of this, or have any kind of drama in the the room that is not doctors just telling reporters what's happening to her. Yeah, that that's an interesting question. Like the squeamishness or the the sort of fear of like showing. The birth, I guess. Well, I mean, um, th- th- it was a different time in American like healthcare. Like fathers were not in the labor room at the time. They, you know, were specifically not allowed to be lingering around, and you were out in the waiting room, you know, waiting news. So, I mean, part of that is just their experience. They probably aren't in on that 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 world. I don't know if they had kids at this point either. So, you know, the first. Uh... The first live birth I ever saw was in the pages of Miracle Man, written by Alan Moore. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Oh, really? Oh, I was, that was a funny joke. But <laughs> I should I should leave my true stories and not explain them because then you'll just think I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> when it's like, no, comics really shit me. Um, yeah. Anyway, they're not there yet. That's like twenty years later. Yeah. Yeah. So they come back. They have Alvin X. They administer it to Sue Storm. Happy bouncing baby. That is, do they name the baby at this point? Baby mm, boy. That's a good question. I don't I read don't the end that closely. <laughs> I will tell you, it is Franklin Benjamin Richard. Frankie. Which, yeah. <laughs> what's your, what's your, I mean, this doesn't have to stay in. What's your son's name? I don't actually know that. Oh, I don't want to say that on the podcast. Well, no, I mean, I'm gonna, I'll race it. 
Oh, I don't, I don't even want it recorded. I'll tell you when oh. we're not recording sometime. <laughs> okay. He's right. off the grid. He's got no... Uh, the, the government doesn't even know he exists, so we're going to keep it that way. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, now I'm going to leave this in. Your weird paranoia that I'm going <laughs> to sell your son's name somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't actually even have a son, so I would appreciate it if you'd stop making up things about me. <laughs> Just, I, God, how good would it be if just at that exact moment just heard the, like, the manic something of a, a crazy <laughs> two-year-old running above me, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. so that that's the end of this issue. I I thought it was fine. Like, it's some space adventure. That's about the only thing that's interesting about it. Like, the actual labor stuff does not have any real drama to it. For me, at least. Yeah. Um, I guess yeah, you like is... this more, but... No, uh, not really. I mean, yeah, it's big, you know. <laughs> Yeah, have, have, have a kid, and uh, here we are, and and we get a nihilist out of it. So yeah, well, I don't know. Let's just, we can talk about that. That's, I mean, that's kind of an interesting idea, right? Superheroes having children—that's pr- probably pretty new. Well, you know what? It is. It is new, and I think maybe we could talk about it more as we go because the idea of like the the idea of the Fantastic Four as a family. I think this is like a huge moment for solidifying that, even if it doesn't yeah. necessarily generate the best stories at this point in time. Um, but raising kids is not something you see in superhero comics very often. And it's actually to the point that it is, you know, like it is somewhat controversial even today, like letting Batman get married or letting Spider-Man get married and having children. Like these are like what if or like alternate reality type stories. They don't actually mm-hmm. make it into, you know, continuity uh, of the of the primary universes very often. So the fact that the Fantastic Four do – get there and get there early and that's a part of their deal i do think sets them apart in in ways that i find pretty interesting and i think like because it's been so slow i think for a lot of other superheroes like this is something that's happened in superman in the dc rebirth era and i my read on it is like everybody loves it like everybody loves the idea of like superman and lois as parents and I, to me, it's like, yeah, Fantastic Four tapped into that in nineteen sixty-eight. I wonder if the difference might be a demographic thing, where the the reader age skewed much younger in the sixties. Like these were still kids' stuff, versus now. I mean, probably the average the average reader of these comics is definitely like over twenty. Yeah, maybe. I I mean, but I I guess I don't I don't know. I'd have to think about it a little bit more as far as like everything in between it being relatable or not right like how relatable is having a having a kid and raising it to you know 12 year old boys that might have been i, I could be mistaken but no I totally are I, the, I think you're right there like is hot spot demographic yeah yeah like is as a 18 year old do i want to read family dynamics uh, you know and like raising a new kid as much as i do um you know approaching 30 so it's like and like Mr. Miracle is another DC right. example, yeah. current state, which is so much about being a parent <laughs> and and so critically acclaimed. <laughs> being a parent and being like very married, right? And, Not just and like... super married. Yeah, totally. Um, and those are things that I'm like, oh, these are, this connects with my life in like deep, meaningful ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously if I'm reading it when I'm, if the demographic's 18, not that you're like incapable of understanding those things, but they're not sure. shared experiences, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that's going to wrap it up for 1968 for us. Thank you very much for listening to the show. You're welcome. <laughs> if you want to support us on Patreon, we've got lots of cool stuff going on over there. 
we added a couple tiers at this point this is old news but we added a couple tiers where uh, at the ten dollar tier uh we're going to give your name a call out during the variant cover episode and assign you a superhero or super villain name and power set and i'm excited the... about that one that one should be fun so it, it, you know check it out if you can i think uh It'll it'll be a blast to do on the variant cover, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, by the time people hear this, we'll have already done it, so... Well, wasn't that a blast? <laughs> yeah, it was great and really successful, and we came up with some really great, funny ideas. Yeah, go, uh, good job, us. Yeah. Uh, the other thing you can do is, if you particularly love your superhero name, if you back us at the $15 level for three months, we will commission a unique piece of art for that superhero or supervillain. Uh, and if you don't particularly want that superhero or supervillain you can ask us for something else a different hero or something but um yeah we think that's going to be really fun kind of build up a a little shared universe of my marvelous year (laughs) weirdo weirdo heroes and villains just uh uh, you know what's really difficult about this trying to come up with stuff is that everything's already been done it's just like Mm -hmm. dc just has so many dc and marvel have so many strange heroes and villains trying to come up with something that is completely original (laughs) It's really tough. Yeah, I would bet even our weirdest ideas are like tapped into in some in some form or another. Yeah, uh, if we we look long enough. But obviously, we'll try to get pretty out there. I think too, just to like call out for people, um, you know, any support you can provide on Patreon, it's going to go towards what is now our our next closest goal is uh, doing an Marvel Ultimate Universe reading club, Mm -hmm. where Zach and I will cover um, every year of Marvel Ultimate. And, and do the same style of pod and reading club and dive into what is, I think, increasingly like one of the best ways to get into Marvel for modern readers. So yeah. that's a big one. Um, and and that's kind of what we're working towards. So again, if you can e- do even it. Even a dollar a month really helps out. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it'll help and we have something cool in the pipeline. So it's not just, you know, for we're trying to deliver things of value, I think, um, as you support us, I think is important. Yep, and for a dollar a month, you get our weekly update email with all the issues listed out, plus access to the poll. This week's poll is... Well, I've got it written down. Let's do it. Oh, did you? Did you do... Oh, thank you. Okay, I you did. go for it. Well, not all of them, but, you know, just the ones we talked about. Um, so this week's poll is who wears the best hat, right? <laughs> yeah, how yeah. Do we... Something hat, like that. headgear. Yeah, I think Coolest headgear. hat, basically. And, uh, all right, our nominees are Juggernaut, Thor, Magneto, Scarlet Witch, and Black Bolt when he's wearing his Inhumans crown. And mm-hmm. there might be another one on there. If I didn't mention it, go on over to patreon.com slash year, and that's where you can find the poll and vote directly. So please do that, and we'll talk about the winner on the variant cover for 1968. Uh, one other thing is, uh, if you listened to last week's episode, you'd already heard this, but we're we're really looking for people to spread, if you enjoy the show, spread the, spread, spread the word of mouth. That's not how that is phrased. Uh, spread, spread your mouth upon the words. <laughs> <laughs> uh, please spread your mouth upon the words and tell tell a friend or family member, whoever you think might be into the show. If you let us know that you told somebody, shoot us a, an email, a tweet, Instagram DM through the Slack channel. However, it doesn't have to be anything too formal. Just mm-hmm. let us know that you are spreading the word out there. And uh, I'm going to enter your name into a drawing. Uh, if, you, if someone comes to us and says, hey, this person sent me, you get put in for a second a second uh, space in the drawing as well as that person and at the end of the month we're going to be giving away the fantastic four number one facsimile edition yeah topical fits in with the mmi club to this point all right cool 
Um, yeah, thanks for listening. I'm Dave. You can find more of my writing on comicbookherald.com. You can also find all the reading lists for My Marvelous Year. If you go to mymarvelousyear.com, it will take you to the page where you can find every single year from 1963 to 2010 I have up on the site, and mm-hmm. you can get to reading. Uh, we also share the reading lists through show notes in the podcast, the Patreon email. Uh, and the Comic Book Herald newsletter. So there's a lot of ways you can get to those comics, which we are reading through Marvel Unlimited, digital subscription service. If you want to get any feedback about 1968 to us, please do so by tomorrow. I don't know why I said tomorrow. Tomorrow um, for next week's variant cover episode. And music for the show is by Disasterpiece. Thanks, Disasterpiece, for the good music. P-E-A-C-E. <laughs> I've been you listening find... to you do that a bunch while I'm editing. <laughs> yeah, you can find more Disaster Piece music on Bandcamp, Spotify, and where musics are sold. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next year. See you next year.